Exit for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. Welcome back to X is for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the Uncanny X-Men comic book franchise as it continues its incredible 80s expansion and goes all over the place and touches on everything. But today, no, no, today we're going to take a bit of a step back. I am your host, Nico, and with me today is the best team of of X-Men experts I could possibly ask for. As always, we have the amazing Jonah. Hello, everyone. We have the incredible Kyle. Hello. And we have special guest star, Kevo. Good day, mate. Yes, that happened. So I just want to say how much I've loved being part of this with all of you. This is amazing and it's been such a good time. And the last time the four of us were together, we were together to talk about a very special saga, a certain Dark Phoenix saga. And from there, that inspired Kevo and I to keep looking at the Flaming Nugget herself. And Jonah joined us for a little HTML where we looked at all of the different iterations of the Dark Phoenix. Yes, but I'm technically not a husband yet. Well, I don't know how soon Joey's becoming a husband either, and he appeared a little bit there too. I feel so bad. The first time we had Joey on the show, he just, like, he couldn't get the fuck off the show. We just kept doing more Dark Phoenix, the poor guy. Well, there was a lot to say, as there is always a lot to say about Gene. This is true. Kyle, it's been a while. Oh, so sorry. Kyle, some some time has passed since you last graced our comic shores. So how have you been? You feeling good? You doing good? I'm feeling good. I've been a lot of reading lately. Oh, I wonder if it's anything that's going to show up on this network in a loud, blaring crack of thum. I am electrified by this uh, upcoming stuff. And, you know, to tangent a little bit, because this is the classic team, let's hop back to the classic format for a minute. Last night, Kevo, Kyle, Jonah, and I were all together. We were with Kyle's amazing husband, Steven, and the five of us were having a great time. And this happened to be being recorded the weekend of SDCC and so much amazing comic news came out last night. It was a what's what of visual projects, whether it's the incredible MCU films that we're getting, the incredible new television shows, their first foray into a canonical animated series, or it's the incredible revamp by Jonathan Hickman bringing the X-Men to a place they've never been before in Dawn of X. It just feels like this is the comic-iest weekend to comicify in some time. Now, Kevo, I know your relationship with the X-Men is at an arm's distance, and Jonah, you're still indoctrinating yourself into mutant kind, and Kyle, you're like me and you've been reading for a while, although not quite as long as I've been a Marvel zombie. God bless everybody who still remembers life before being a Marvel zombie. But how did you guys feel about some of these big announcements, whether it was the movies or the TV shows or some of the comic changes? I really feel like this is an exciting time to be a Marvel fan. I 
I'm probably going to end up talking more about this on our own show, HTML, plug that. So I am just in brief going to say I feel a huge sense of relief, I think, the most. We didn't have any sort of blueprint or roadmap following Endgame and Spider-Man. In fact, until this weekend, we still didn't have 100% confirmation that Black Widow was happening, even though it is currently in filming. So to see that there are so many films coming that we both have have and have not expected even without any sort of structure like a clear infinity saga i don't really need that right now i just needed to know that like what was coming exactly even with everyone under contract nothing was a guarantee until we had these announcements and i just feel a huge sense of relief and excitement mostly and jonah for you what was your big takeaway from this crazy round of announcements the covers of all the different X issues that are coming out, we got who the main characters are going to be for each story, and it's pretty insane the large size of this cast and who they're actually using. Some very unexpected faces from characters I would have never thought would be included on an X team to characters that I was told died and are apparently back somehow. So it's going to be really interesting as more information is doled out as to what's going on in the X-Verse currently. Yeah, because if I'm not mistaken, uh, Kyle, you and I were talking about how a handful of these characters, especially the ones running around New Mutants, are all pretty, you know, dead. Yeah, I was very concerned coming through the, the recent issues. I feel much the same way. I'm really excited about the future of X-Men and the Marvel Cinematic Franchise. It's a really cool time to be a fan of these projects. And to plug something I kind of thought I would never plug on this show, I just want to take a minute and say we take a lot of time to say how great the MCU is. We took a little, we took some years off our lives to talk about how rough the X-Men movie franchise has been. But I really want to pause and give it up to Brandon Routh for resurfacing as the Man of Steel on the CW's DCEU. I think it's incredible that he is going to get to play Superman opposite Tyler Hecklin's beloved Superman. And they're doing a big crisis story. And I'm just really excited for that. I don't understand how that's going to work. I haven't seen any of the DCEU on the CW, so I don't know much about the character that he already played on the CW-verse. He played someone, I think, on Legends of Tomorrow, I want to say. So, like... But I mean, you know, I Peter mean, Capaldi was two characters before he was the 12th Doctor. I'm not like trying to be a dick. And I do believe we got an announcement about a very special vampire who's running around uh, who might have been a foe of a certain bulletproof fellow. And not to mention that same bulletproof fellow's other villain emotionally harassed Iron Man in Iron Man 3. So nope. it's one of those things where civil war, civil war, you say she emotionally harasses him in civil war. The movie that felt like an Iron Man movie, even though it was a Captain America movie. Yeah, uh huh. Where's Joey? I need Joey. Joey! 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 Joe! I was about to do it, Nicole, but I was about to do nailed it. Whis! Today we're going to be taking a look at Uncanny X-Men 153 by Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum. Now, Kevo, Kyle, I know you've either read these issues before or you did just read 153, so you got a bit of a summary of what you missed, but Jonah, oh Joji, Jonah, we just read X-Men 151 and 152, and that was a thing. Yes, the best body swaps of Grey Mulk and Lane 150 edition yeah it was quite an experience when storm was like 
hey, Emma Frost, what are you doing at this school? And Emma Frost was like, I'm getting in your body. And Storm was like, I'm a white lady now. The whole thing. And then Storm, so Emma in Storm's body made out with Sebastian Shaw. Yeah, it was gross. Get that shit away from us. If one thing makes this podcast go viral, I hope it's Nico screaming, I'm a white lady now. (laughs) So I just want to point out that 151-152, this body swap possession stuff, is such a hot topic in the Claremont world that regular contributor Dr. Matt Connor took shots at it with his mental health column. (laughs) But that's the magic of having a show like this. We kind of get to talk about a little bit of everything, and we get so many different fan perspectives that reflect so beautifully and so different on these X-Men comics and talking about different looking X-Men comics from the cover. Kitty's fairy tale is a one of a kind story unlike any other. To give a brief summary, Kitty is just hanging out at the mansion and the mansion, you know, they blew up another danger room and they're having financial problems and everything sucks. It's basically exactly after the Dark Phoenix saga again and they're even trying to give you a prize on the cover. So, you know it's still just after the Dark Phoenix saga. And Kitty's like, "Da, I speak Russian thanks to a download from the professor into my brain head and I'm going to make up a fairy tale for this little Aryan baby and Russian. Charles Xavier is the Duolingo owl. Yes. Yes, he is. And I feel like, I feel like, um, well, I'm gonna just, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this gives us Bamfs and Lockheed and I just, I have so many feelings. A Fozzie Bear cameo. Yes, this is very true. So there's actually a lot of cameos in this issue. Before we actually get into the fun story, because the fun story is the fun story, Carol shows up. In a great little reference to Avengers Annual 10, Claremont is one of those guys who's like, no, 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 I know you haven't seen them in six months, but they're still in my book. And that's very who he is, though Carol did have a lot of page time in 149 and 150. So it's not weird that she shows up here. It is and it isn't for me because so far we're not at the point where Carol has her powers back yet and she's going to be actually doing things with the X-Men. Right now she's just super smart, badass pilot lady Carol. Danvers kind of just hanging around being with the people she trusts and love but the last time we saw Ileana was the last time we saw Dr. Doom and we kind of never talked about it what happened they didn't bring her back apparently she's been at the X-Mansion this entire time I don't know about that (laughs) that doesn't seem very safe for a child who they have no idea if is a mutant or not which they still haven't talked about again I mean you're not too far from an answer to some version of that question so Keep an eye out. Now, before we get into the fairy tale and the players and everything that made this story wonderful, I had a couple of points I needed to make. Number one, I would like to thank Chris Claremont for having Colossus mention that he has trouble handling his massive loads. That is very considerate of him for his gay fan base. Colossus actually have a big gay fan base? I can't imagine the man who looks like a giant metal ribbed condom doesn't have a huge gay male fan base. My question was going to be, does he come Mercury? Poor kitty. Could you go crazy. Yeah, can you get Mercury poisoning from having metal sex with Colossus? I have to say it's organic seal, but it's inorganic, so I don't know. I don't know, Kyle. Do you have any input on this? I don't think he's Mercury. I think he's some other type of metal. No, not Colossus himself, but his seminal discharge is what we are discussing right now. To put oh! it in clinical terms. Oh, okay. I, 
yeah, but this is me being naive. <laughs> well, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to Joey, and I said to Joey, oh, because he had said that somebody was the most something person on the network, and I was like, oh, I wonder what I am. Am I, like, the most sexual person on the network? And he replied, you're the most everything person on the network. So, I I don't know that you're, I, I just don't know how many shows talk about, because, I mean, here's the thing. When Colossus bleeds, it's either energy or liquid metal. So, I'm just, what about when he spits? Okay, so what you're saying is, when he comes, it's energy. Or liquid metal. And that's love, right there. That is love. So, before Kitty can get lead poisoning, did anybody else have any other thoughts, like Kitty flying through a roof the Fozzie Bear plush. I just, I love old comics and I love moments like, instead of calling you on the intercom or having you invade my thoughts, I decided to teleport here to talk to you. Hello, here are the things I have to say. <laughs> like, oh my God, just fucking talk, Kurt. Yeah. Kyle, was there any, like, because this is something you've read before and this is one of those issues that everybody holds really close to their heart. Is, was this fun to come back to? Oh, geez, this, this just... Brought a huge smile to my face. That's all I can say at this moment. I mean, I mean, I do have to to agree with Kevo about Nightcrawler uh, having to narrate all of his actions, but you know. <laughs> It is what it is, you know, you just sort of roll with it. I think one of the most fascinating things about this story is the way that in that tiny little bit, in that short jaunt, Claremont has finally gotten how to tell like a four-page story, a three-page story down pat. I feel like one of the things that Jonah and I used to complain about earlier on in the series was frequently if there was an away team and we cut back to the mansion for three or four pages, it never felt like a complete idea. But even if you were to remove the narrative of kitty's fairy tale and reduce the fairy tale itself down to just a page or two i feel like this issue stands on its own now jonah this marked kind of like a break from the x-men's regular horrifying life i feel like the last time the x-men had a chance to breathe was 138 and that was morning gene this was a very different kind of respite how did you feel about it i think it's pretty interesting because while the scale of what happened in 150 152 isn't anywhere near recent events of 150 137 dark phoenix and magneto 151 and 152 were very psychologically damaging to the x-men or at least i would believe so because one of their fellow x X-Men was completely body swapped, so that's a threat that they didn't really think they thought they would have, that they now have. And two, it's really easy to break into the X-Men, apparently, so them having a moment to just breathe and be like, alright, we're not trying to save the world, no one's trying to kill us today, can we just relax? An interesting point, because I feel like if you're saying it's really easy to break into the X-Mansion, you may be referencing Warhammer, or Warhawk, or Metal, Metal Ugly Faced Shooty Gun, the one who shoots Gene and is like, that should have killed an elephant! And she's not dead, and I'm gonna break into the danger room. That guy from, like, 110, right? Well, it turns out he was sent by the Hellfire Club, so I don't know that it's actually easy to break into the X-Mansion so much as the Hellfire Club is really good at it. Well, they do have all the that surveillance equipment. Yeah, they also got the money. Yeah, they're made of money. They bleed money. They wipe their asses with money. Charles doesn't have any money anymore now that reverse sugar baby Warren left him because he wasn't the star. <laughs> Warren is the reverse sugar baby. <laughs> <laughs> 
That tea was scalding. Oh my god, I hate him so much. Warren, for those of you who are new to the show, one hour poll for everyone's least favorite X-Man at one point, but I digress. Rather than talk too much about the actual fairy tale itself, because the fairy tale itself is a pretty simple constructed narrative, the fairy tale relies on all of the main elements of a classic fairy tale. There's a hero, and they meet people in distress on their own mission. They combine forces to work toward a common goal. Halfway through, an additional magic force is introduced in the form of a genie, and together they save the damsel. And it's a very standard presentation of a fairy tale, but what makes it special is is how Kitty recasts everything in the X-Men to be this completely transformed iteration of Dark Phoenix. It's a really incredible way that Kitty was able to step away from her own life and present this. We get Kitty Pride as Pirate Kitty, Colossus, her true love, as, well, just Colossus. She doesn't need a whole lot of help on that one. Scott Summers is the Noble Prince. Charles Xavier is the Wizard. Storm is a genie with really spiky headpiece stuff. Hmm. Nightcrawler is a BAMF! Logan is the fiend with no name, and let me tell you how much I love that the fiend with no name inspired every piece of Sam Keith art for the rest of his life. There is, of course, Jean Grey as the enchanted princess, but I do want to take a moment and mention that the SR-71 Blackbird turns into Lockheed the Dragon. It's a really cool design, actually. I loved this probably the most out of all of the translations of characters into fairy tale. Now, I wonder if it's a reference to Lockheed Martin? It is. Yeah, so really, at the end of the day, that makes Kitty Pride's pet dragon she will come to have someday, inspired by her jet, which just really fits Kitty as a person. She is an engineer. She is. Now, Kevo, this was your first time returning to the X-Men, as is yours, Kyle, since you guys stepped away after the Dark Phoenix saga. What was it like to know that literally a full year later, this is all they're still fucking talking about? Unsurprising, it's Jean Grey. It's all anyone talks about, even when she's not there. How about you, Kyle? I think a year later, it shows that Dark Phoenix really had such an incredible impact on this team that even for a character who was not truly present for the entirety of that saga, was affected by it as well. I agree, Kyle. I think it's pretty unique and interesting to retell the story of the Dark Phoenix saga through the eyes of Kitty and how she would interpret it. And I think it's pretty great. And there's a lot more to it because what better way for Kitty, someone who is very mature but still so young herself, to recap the story as a fairy tale. And I think this was also doubly done so that Chris Claremont has an excuse to use Jean again. But also, this kind of gives us the ending that Chris Claremont wanted originally for the Dark Phoenix saga. Jean is saved and Jean Scott are together forever and have a happily ever after. They don't get that. And it's almost a way that he could have, he gave them that ending in Kitty's rendition of what happened. You know, and I love how you presented that. This was Claremont getting to present a lot of Claremont's ideas. He is such a big fan. And you know what? Actually, it, it takes me a step back. One of my favorite things about Dave Cockrum's run on Nightcrawler as a character is he always wants Nightcrawler to be a swashbuckler. And as soon as Cockrum came back, everybody's a fucking pirate and everyone's having a great time. And we get this big dragon, which is a very Cockrum thing. And we get Bamps, which are, again, a very Cockrum thing. So much of who Chris Claremont is when he is a great writer is somebody who keys into his artist beautifully. And 
And I just, I'm so rewarded by the visuals of this narrative. Who Kitty is and what she looks like is so dramatic and high fashion and interesting and creative. And it presents an argument I believe a teen girl would give. I think if Kitty was telling this fairy tale, she would say, and she was in fabulous striped leggings with yellow bells on the bottom. And I do feel like this is Kitty Pride showing her soul. And yet she doesn't make herself the hero of the story, which is something that I think is a very interesting choice for the character when she's the one who's telling it. She's there for it and she's a participant. But she doesn't make Kitty the one who saves Jean, even though she's the one telling the story. She does make some interesting choices in making Nightcrawler's Banff character, Banff under protest, in love with her and significantly reducing Storm's role. Toward the end of the book, just around when Colossus finds the Dijin, or Genie, in Storm, he thinking to himself, Kitty loves cities and would be so bored by where I'm from, but this isn't Colossus thinking this. This is Kitty telling Ileana what Colossus would be thinking in her fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Yikes on bikes. Also, I have a brilliant, brilliant friend who is a cosplayer by the name of By the Goddess. And if you've ever been to a New York or an East Coast based Comic Con and you have seen a fabulous Kator hand stitched Storm cosplay, I can almost promise you it was By the Goddess. And now I really desperately need her to do Storm as the genie. And I think I need to send this to her because then she'll hear it and she will say, what? Okay, now you know I have to do that. She wears a lot of rings, so there'd be some clicking. But I really feel like Kitty even casts Logan in a funny light. In that Logan is the fiend with no name. This is before they're best friends. This is before Kitty Pride and Wolverine would die for each other. But it's so funny how she sees Logan at this point. And I love his little hat. Oh, I love his little Dumbo hat. Oh, and I love the style of the art when he's messing around and there's Lockheed. He looks so ridiculous and silly. And there's just so much energy to the art here. I need to point something out really fast. Uh, when they re- when Kurt hears how he's introduced, Wolverine is wearing a shirt. And then when Wolverine's character is introduced, he's not wearing a shirt anymore. So he very excitedly took off his shirt after hearing some of the story. I think he was actually wearing a think it's a shirt. That's a shirt. Yeah. Oh, when his character is introduced. Yeah. Wait, we're all flipping through the book. <laughs> I think there's some... Uh... back to the... But it comes back Art to continuity. Yeah, he's just shirtless. <laughs> because yeah, no, this is amazing. This is a because yeah. two pages before he's shirtless and carrying a tower towel, and then he has a shirt, <laughs> yeah, no, here, and then he doesn't here. have a shirt. I think, I think it was towel. In no, that was just I don't know. That, that might have been a coloring mistake then, because yeah. they made the towel white, which looks like a shirt. It's placed perfectly. No matter what end of the day they should have put him in a shirt is what we're coming to. There are several. No matter what, there's several panels where he's wearing way too little clothes. So the fact that he is listening in at Kitty's story to this young girl and he's not wearing a shirt. There's also a bunch of really cute things like the way she sees Xavier is a little bit revered and a little reverent where she gives him a magic flying carpet and at another point he's like, I'm not used to combat! And then he gets a flying magic chair. Oh my god, Scott's in the flying magic chair? No, no, I don't want it. So, I... (laughs) 
I really do love this issue. Oh, it's a ton of fun for sure. I think it's pretty interesting what everybody's wings look like when Storm the Genie gives them. And I think it really kind of represents how Kitty views the other X-Men kind of right now at this point. Wolverine already has a scary design, but he has these very bat-like wings. Colossus has these cool jetpack wings because it's kind of like Kitty is admiring him. She gives herself these butterfly wings because she's blossoming. She's a young girl. She's pretty. But Kurt has these like fly wings and i can only assume that she thinks kurt is annoying at this point yeah i feel like she and kurt are not the bff that i need them to be for when they get to excalibur hi everybody i'm joey lewandowski i run the cage club podcast network and host way too many of its shows like too fast too forever the fast and furious podcast cruise club the tom cruise podcast and hangs for the memories the tom hangs podcast I've been on Now and Again and Husbands Talking More or Less with Nico before, but never X's for podcast until now. Nico asked me to do a segment about the comic books I've read, I think because I'm such a diehard media addict but a relative comic book baby. I grew up with comic books, but I'm still relatively new to the game. I don't want to sound blasphemous, but I don't know if I've ever picked up a Marvel comic book that I didn't get for free at a movie. Sorry! Growing up, my dad read DC Comics to me. Superman was, and still is, his favorite. I'm sure he read a bunch of different series and arcs to me, but the two that I remember most are Crisis on Infinite Earths and The Death and Return of Superman. Crisis came out before I was born, but The Death and Return of Superman would have started coming out when I was about five years old. In retrospect, that seems maybe a little bit young, but also maybe not. I don't know. I've since bought the collections for both arcs, with The Death and Return of Superman being the best comic book bargain I've ever scored, and I'm looking forward to reading them again. I think at some point, Nico wants to do a mini run of episodes with me on this show where he introduces me to a new title. I'm hoping I can convince him to do one of these, too. Isn't that how Hollywood works? One for you, one for me? What do you say, Nico? Many of my comic book memories are sort of tied to other media. I remember a Sega Genesis game about the death and return of Superman that I played a lot growing up, which I never got very far in because it was wildly difficult or I was just a bad-at-video-games little child. I remember sort of reenacting Crisis on Infinite Earths with my action figures. I think Crisis might have been the reason that I sort of like mashups as much as I do today, because it was really the first thing that I remember where I was like, oh, all these people can come together in a way that they're not supposed to? That's cool. I want that. Even though I'm almost totally unfamiliar with everything that X's for Podcast covers, I like the show because it introduces me to a world of comics and characters and stories that I never knew before. I've seen most of the Marvel movies from the last two decades or so, but... There's still so much backstory to these characters that I never knew, and it's so exciting and fun to hear Nico, Jonah, Kevo, Kyle, and the whole rotating cast of the show dive into these comics with such passion. If you want to know more about me, you can find all the shows I host at cageclub.me joey, or find me just about everywhere on the internet at soulpopped. Bonus points if you know what that's a reference to. I feel like this is one of those issues that you can use this series as a great way to abridge the X-Men and catch up on what you want without having to read, but I would say that everybody has to go out and read 153. I want to get a round of final thoughts before we close out this issue. Kyle, what are your final thoughts on Uncanny X-Men 153, Kitty's Fairy Tale? Like I said earlier, I really, really enjoy this this story. It's honestly one of my favorites. It's a great way to do a recap issue. And I really think that it helps to show just how much of a family the X-Men are becoming with these new additions to the mansion. So it just makes me feel all warm inside. 
that's why I'm so glad we had everybody come together for this one. It's just such a special issue, and I wanted to share it with special people. Kevo, it's been such a great time to have your voice back on the X-Men and not just getting through the Otherworld saga. What did you think about this other world we just read about? Ah, I get it. I really enjoyed it. It was so clearly, lovingly crafted by someone who cares about this story and these characters. I loved the enchanted princess design of the Dark Phoenix, the way that her sash was all flamey i love the attention to detail that when she becomes jean gray again she's in her green and yellow it was a lot of fun it's cute i definitely think that it's a must read for any x-man fan and speaking of x-man fans kyle nope already talked to kyle (laughs) and speaking of x-men fans jonah as my co-host this issue was in so many ways such a great summation of everything we've been reading for so long talk to me about kitty's fairy tale and the real life kitty pride and his reaction to it it was pretty interesting and i think the best word i can use to describe this issue is creative it was something that i would have never expected to come out of any comic to tell a fairy tale rendition using your characters i also think it's a great way to put your characters in different costumes and try out a different design for them because they're in a fairy tale you can put them in whatever you want not that you can't do that already but you need to make some logical sense even if you're in a fantasy superhero sci-fi setting but that being said i think this was just a very charming easy issue for someone to go into and to read and to be a fan of the x-men and i think the last thing i like about this issue is that this actually could go anywhere at any point when kitty is introduced and carol's with the x-men you could have this issue for anything so i really appreciate them giving it to us now i agree i think the issue can be best summarized in the final line after the entire team has revealed that they overheard the story story kitty asks what they thought nightcrawler says do you want the truth kitty says sure and scott says to be honest kitty we thought it was great especially the end thank you since this is the ending of this kyle where can everybody find you online everyone can find me on both twitter and instagram at drantis82 that's d-r-a-n-t-i-s 8-2. Terrific. Hey, Kevo, how about you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Kevo Really, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y, or you can find me on the Facebook page for our Cage Club show, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Official HTML. And co-host Jonah? If you would like to reach out to me online, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jonah Rubino and at Jonah.Rubino. Nico, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me obsessing over all of the SDCC news on the internet, and you can find me on every show here on this network, like HTML, Now and Again, and this show, as well as guest appearances on other shows. You can check out my music project at facebook.com slash action duo, as well as my Instagram at nicoaction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Don't forget to check out my super awesome comic, Kid Riot Comics, over at kidriotcomics.com. All right, well, we're going to be doing a couple more special one-shotties like this, and when we come back, it's going to be a whole bunch of people, and we're going to be talking about the Contest of Champions, and until then, we will see ya. Bye. See ya.